I love having STEM toys. Yes. Students love playing with them, and I think they're becoming like a better aspect of like a lot of office spaces. Yeah. Like my therapist has a bunch next to the to the chair that I get to sit in, and I just play with them while we talk. Because yes. there are like sometimes students will come in here and like we won't even really like look at each other. Yeah. Eye <laughs> <Boy> contact. <laughs> Well, some folks don't really like eye contact. I get it. I get it. I get weird about my eyes. Yeah. Um. Well, and I, I'm, like, comfortable, like, looking at people, but then I often I think that... <laughs> I think that people <clears throat> have this, like, Craig is staring longingly into my no, soul. No, I don't read you as reading, like, being creepy. I just, like... Well, then I'm not doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> Punks podcast. This is your host Craig Biteman. Excited for this week's episode with my friend Andy McConey. Andy and I worked together here at UMass Boston together. It was great. Andy was one of the first people that really made me feel like I was home here at UMass Boston. And then eventually Andy moved on to work for a new place called Phoenix Multisport, which we're going to talk about a whole lot today. September is now uh, recovery month and Phoenix Multisport is an organization that supports folks in recovery. And we uh, really get into what the organization does and what it has done over the last few years and how fitness ties into just overall wellness and even what it can mean for folks who are trying to get clean, sober, and stay clean and stay in recovery. Uh, It's a really deep, really powerful conversation with Andy, who's genuinely one of my favorite people here on the East Coast. And uh, I recently started uh, working out at the Phoenix, um, like six or seven weeks ago now. And it's been truly transformative uh, as someone in recovery um, from alcohol use um, for the last just over six years. Um, a big part of my life has always been fitness and being in shape and taking care of myself. And now being in a new CrossFit arena, something I never thought I would do, um, has been fantastic. An incredible community keeps me coming back, incredibly supportive, wonderful human beings. And I'm so glad that I get to share the work that they do this week um, because truly some disruptors that are making powerful impacts in the world. And I just want to make sure that folks around the country are aware because there are some drop-in gyms in probably in your area. Because if you are somebody in recovery or someone who supports folks in recovery, you can probably take advantage of their services for free. It's fantastic. All right, this week we're going to have tunes from the new Snow Roller album, which is called Y2K. It comes to you from our friends at Near Mint Records. We'll get to that a little bit more in the episode. But for now, let's go to this conversation with Andy McConey. I forget who I am. 
I'm sitting in my office here in UMass Boston with my friend Andy McConey. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm okay. We were talking about our various illnesses when you came in. We were. <laughs> All the antibiotics. Yeah, because folks who've been listening know that I've been I've had a pretty bad cough. And um, it's uh, it was misdiagnosed by a nurse as allergies and a sinus infection. But uh, it turns out it's pneumonia, which is what I thought it was. And my doctor was like, oh, I'm sorry that we missed that. We missed that. And I was like, it's fine. Let's just get rid of it. Uh, but you're, you've had some sniffles. I am, but I'm surviving. Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> uh, so, Andy, why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you got here. Cool. So, um, I am a human. Nice. Good I got start. got here been a long road. Uh, so I met Craig while we both worked at UMass Boston. Mm -hmm. He in the uh, as a health educator, mm -hmm. and I did a few different things here. But I was also very involved in co-founding UMass Boston's Collegiate Recovery Program um, as a grad student and while I worked here. So we did a lot of crossover work, collaborated, mm -hmm. and I've since moved on to working <sighs> at a nonprofit called the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a person in long-term recovery myself. My career now focuses around supporting people in recovery and um, people who choose to live a sober lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of crossover in what we do, and I'm psyched to be here. Yeah. Um, we'll get into it a little bit more uh, in the next segment, but can you just give folks a little bit of an overview of what The Phoenix is? Sure. So The Phoenix is a national nonprofit. Uh, we create an active sober community. By, creating, uh, by offering free fitness programming for individuals recovering from substance use disorders and those choosing to live a sober lifestyle. So we have various uh, disciplines like CrossFit, kickboxing, yoga, rock climbing, surfing, mm -hmm. uh, lots of really fun stuff. And the only requirement to participate is 48 hours sober, however someone might define that. Yeah. And you and I have stayed in touch um, which is great, and I because I finally listened to you and went over to the Phoenix, which is right next to where I work, and yep. could have only, always taken the 10-minute bike ride it takes me to get over there, and I finally started going to classes about a month ago. Well, I've already been going for like five weeks. Yeah. Wow. Um, You're one of us now. I know, and I feel great because I'm kind of like looking forward to the next time I can get to go. And I just put them in my calendar, so... Awesome. Yeah, hell yeah. But before we get into more about the Phoenix, um, can you just tell folks a little bit about, like, your path to recovery and what that looked like for you? Sure. Um, so I... It definitely wasn't a linear pathway. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up here around Boston, a little north of Boston, and what I thought was normal at the time, I now know wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um most of my peer group uh, used substances from an early age. I think the first time I drank alcohol was around 12, mm -hmm. uh, marijuana around the same time. Um, and it just seemed like a, a natural part of childhood, of being a kid, a teenager. Um, and for a long time, I was able to balance that with the rest of my life. So mm -hmm. I was able to succeed academically, uh, participate in sports, mm -hmm. um, you know, not get into any real trouble. Um, and, and my experience has been that I now realized I looked at that as, as a way to kind of justify my behavior, my substance use. Yeah, so you made it like part of your life. Like yep. it was just part of your life. Yeah, um, you know, like I, 
I had I put a lot of pressure on myself. My parents had really high expectations of me. They were really strict, um, really good people. Um, but because I, I did so well in school and I was, you know, labeled air quotes for those who can't see a good kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of didn't think that like failure or, or any missteps or mistakes were an option. And so when I was able to kind of blow off steam partying, um, I, I looked at that as kind of a, a relief, a release valve, mm-hmm. relief valve, relief, release, relief, both. I'm clearly not a mechanic, yeah. uh, but both. Relief, I'm not either. Release. I hardly just fixed something <laughs> on my car and I had to look it up on YouTube. Don't worry about it. But you did it. Yeah, there um, was a release for you. Yeah. So, it, you know, it was kind of like shutting off my mind, the expectations I placed upon myself. Um, and as long as I could go back to school and get straight A's and as long as I could go participate in sports and, you know, be captain of three sports and do all of those things, then I was okay and I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't a troublemaker. Um, I was in high school around the time when um, Oxycontin hit the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not one of those stories that you hear about often in the media who had a sports injury and got hooked. Um, it was just part of the culture where I lived that, um, you know, you did drugs occasionally. Um, that particular drug was everywhere all of a sudden, all the time. Um, mm-hmm. it really permeated the, my peer group. Um, my friends started dying from, mm-hmm. from overdoses or from mixing substances. So, um, you know, the first time one of my friends died from drug-related deaths was the day before I turned 18. Um, and it didn't stop for years, like, yeah. you know, quite a few. Um, but I also, um, you know, like I thought that I was different because mm-hmm. I managed to, to get into a, a good college and graduate from, you know, high school and, and, and do things that I saw others weren't doing. So I didn't identify as about as being an addict. Yeah. Um, but it spiraled as it often does. Um, you know, I, I now realize that I didn't really have coping skills. So, so I am a believer in, you know, the, the disease model of addiction and that the substances are irrelevant. It's just a coping tool, a coping skill. And I didn't really have any that were working for me. And so I was just choosing to shut off my mind and my emotions temporarily and it worked for a while mm. until it didn't work anymore. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the drugs progressed, um, the behaviors associated with using pr- progress. So, you know, criminal behavior, mm. lying, cheating, stealing. And, um, you know, within a year of graduating from Boston University, I was in treatment programs and detoxes, um, residential treatment, um, wasn't welcome in my parents' home. I had, you know, legal troubles and, um, you know, that was my introduction to recovery, but that it didn't stick right away. So it's been a, a pretty long journey. Um, I've had periods mm-hmm. um, of abstinence for years at a time. But I this last time when I returned to recovery in 2014, um, something feels a little bit different. It feels like it's, it's become a part of my identity instead mm-hmm. of something that I kind of keep separate from the rest <clears throat> of my life. Hmm. And what do you think is like kind of contributing to that like new wave of you said it was only 2014, correct? Yeah. yeah, so I had been in recovery. Um, <laughs> I haven't talked about this at UMass, so I was in oh, recovery <laughs> when I started working at UMass. Okay. I had just had my son, and then, um, you know, I, I was experiencing professional success. I, you know, purchased a home. I had a, a family, all of these things that on paper, you know, make someone, air quotes, a success. Yeah. And um, I, I wanted to think that I was normal and I could do things that other people did. And I didn't really disclose that I was in recovery to people. Um, mm-hmm. So that 
That's so interesting because in my interview with Linda, I disclosed it with her because she mentioned how she does like recovery work. And I was just like, oh, at the time I was like, oh, I'm like three years sober now. And she just like looked at me like Linda has a whole huge heart for people in recovery. And so she like just looked at me like, oh, my goodness, you're taking charge. And I was like, oh, no one's ever really talked to me like that. And like that way, as it was like a good thing, because my friends back home were like, why are you quitting? Like, you don't have that big of a problem. Like, what doesn't look like a problem to you inside of me felt like a problem because of why I was using. Yeah, that well, that was my experience, too. So when I, you know, I relapsed and it was really easy for me to, to, to say to my friends and coworkers and other people in my life, sure, I'll go out for drinks because a lot of people didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kind of bottoms weren't quite as low this time around. Mm -hmm. You know, I kept my career. I I had a place to live. Um, It didn't quite get as bad on paper, Mm -hmm. but internally it did. And I, you know, I woke up every morning full of anxiety, um, dread, fear, um, self-loathing, and uh, wanted to stop, and I couldn't, and um, I hated myself. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, to answer your question of, of what's kind of different this time around and what contributed to that feeling of it being different, I think the fact that I kind of like pulled, you know, pulled the veil back from, you know, to, to reveal that Oz was just the wizard or whatever, um, <laughs> I um, I just became me in all parts of my life. So mm-hmm. I, um, I'm i a big fan of like, you know, smashing stigma and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And other people had gone before me to show me that it was possible to, you know, still live your life and I identify openly as being in recovery. Um, and I, and I also, at the beginning, it was a sense of accountability for me. So if everyone knew I couldn't kind of manipulate things or hide things, which is what my disease, you know, gets me to do frequently when I'm not keeping track of it. Um, but I also feel like for me, my recovery has, has been successful so far this time around because I have a huge sense of, um, purpose that being of service to others is is a responsibility mm-hmm. that I owe because other people have kind of picked me up when I've fallen down and helped me back to my feet. So allowing myself to kind of be out there lets me be of service to more people. Mm. I, I love that. Um, it seemed... Sorry, there's like a door outside my <laughs> office that makes a very loud noise and it always throws me off because I can't see over there. <coughs> All right. <coughs> We'll cut that part. Um, so when it comes to working with like folks in recovery, what is what is something that you kind of, I don't know, hold as a sign that that what you've been doing for yourself is like a good positive? And how do you like convey that to others who are trying like perhaps early in their recovery, how does that manifest? Yeah. And like you're, I don't know if you ever take on like a mentorship role, but how does that like? Yeah, go? absolutely. So, um, I mean, the, the first part of your question of how, I can't verbalize exactly what you said, but like how do you yeah. know it's kind of working is, yeah. is that um, I felt empty and worthless for mm-hmm. so long and I don't feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's not a result solely of, of the things that I've been doing, it's what others have been doing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you hear in some recovery circles is, you know, we'll love you until you love yourself. And, mm. you know, I did not think that was possible. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand what love actually was. I thought that there were always strings attached, that there was always some, 
you know, motive. If, if you were my friend, um, I cared about you, but I also wanted something from you and you wanted something from me. And the same with family and, you know, romantic relationships and, and professional relationships. It was always, um, I, I didn't trust and I didn't see the value in just kind of being me in someone's life mm-hmm. and having others in my life. And Kind of like how, like, relationships are transactional almost. Yep, like, exactly. But I'll, I, I, I kind of get... I get what you're saying in that you almost have that same relationship with yourself where I feel like I need to give something even to others so that I can feel worth. And then, but then at the same time, what am I kind of giving away of myself? It's kind of like, for me, it's manifested in that I give too much of myself and don't receive much back. And my expectations are often let down and then like I I put that on myself yeah yeah exactly so yeah. basically when I came in everything was transactional yeah. and and I and I don't necessarily think that like feeling better about ourselves by doing things for others is a bad thing mm-hmm. um, even if it is maybe transactional in a sense yeah. because I had never done anything completely selfless before I was so self-centered mm-hmm. and selfish um, and you know, because of that, I had no self-worth and I didn't think that I had any value. Um, and so people, you know, allowed me to, to learn how to see the good in myself. And, um, you know, I was taught that self-esteem comes from esteemable acts and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and um, just little things like, you know, feeling like, how do I, um, how do I get out of this financial hole I've dug for myself or how do I apply for a new job? when now it's public that I'm a person in recovery mm-hmm. and, you know, and, um, you know, other people who have gone before me have, have done that. So to answer the second part of your question in, in terms of mentorship, it's, it's, it's a natural thing for me to kind of want to guide others. And, and I'm, I'm learning how to ask for help because, um, you know, n- now that I've, I've had a little bit of, of time and experience under my belt, it's easier for me to kind of want to guide others but obviously I'm still human and still have a, a huge growth trajectory ahead of me. So to ask for help is still challenging. Um, so I'm always, you know, on the hunt for mentors and mentees or, you know, in, in 12 step, which is not the only way to recover. It's one of the ways that I do. Um, there's like a formal, uh, mentorship called sponsorship. And so that's been a huge part of my recovery, but informally also, you know, just like building these, meaningful relationships um in my life in all these different spheres that i'm in has been so helpful personally but also in in kind of feeling like i'm i'm helping others yeah so are you able to like kind of pull from your own experience to even like give folks that like motivation um that they need the folks like early in their recovery to feel like hey it might be hard right now but there are some things you can push through um, does that, how does that look like for you? Like, um, do you like actively have to go out of your way or is it just like your network kind of like gets you connected into those? I pave my way to make that oh, part of hey, it. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, I make my, my way to <clears throat> part of that. So, um, a lot of my recovery focuses on, on being of service in recovery communities. Yeah. So speaking to others, talking about my experience, not in a, you know, these are the war stories. Um, but in the, hey, you know, I've been here. If you are here too, you're not alone because we've been there before. And, yeah. and you know, we do recover. We, you know, we get stronger. We build new lives together and we're never alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really the, 
the fundamental part of what has kind of clicked for me finally is no matter what, I never have to experience anything good, bad, in between alone, mm-hmm. that human connection. Um, I was surrounded by people for years and felt alone, um, mm-hmm. and now I don't. And because I'm not alone, I know that I never have to use a substance to drown those feelings of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, yeah, you know, in recovery communities, professionally, um, but also just like casual personal interactions, whether it's, um, you know, picking up on something from someone who hasn't disclosed they're struggling. Um, or, you know, I, I work in a neighborhood where there's a lot of active addiction and it's as, you know, as simple as sometimes just asking someone their name and letting them know, I see you, I hear you, you exist, I recognize your humanity. Um, because a lot of people are living in, in an animalistic way and, yeah. and don't believe in their own humanity. And, and so sometimes it's little interactions, um, but I think the, the crux of it all is just that, that human connection. Um, and we're all recovering from something. So it may not be a, a substance use disorder. It could be from trauma or you know, poverty or oppression or crime, um, abuse. And there's a lot of personal internal work and with professionals to be done, but also sometimes it's, it's a matter of connecting with another human, I think. Yeah. And while you were talking, it kind of reminded me of what you said earlier about how um, we're surviving. And one of the things that my dad always said and that has like kind of always stuck with me um, is I would often call him and like, hey, dad, how are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just, I'm surviving. And to, to him... It was kind of like a joke because he struggled with lung cancer for so long. And so the fact that he woke up in the morning was like an achievement. And like I loved that sense of humor in him. And so whenever people like often when people are like, how are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm still here. I'm surviving. We're, we're, we're here in this together, I guess. Um, and so one of one of the modes of like my survival is like developing that community, developing like the people around me and having a good support system, even like in my home, like my partner um, is, is sober, has never, I think has had like a total of four alcoholic beverages in their life. And they were like, this is not for me. So they live a sober lifestyle, which is a huge support for me. Um, You have uh, a son. Uh, How has having uh, a son really like, show like helped with your uh your recovery and just even like your perspective on life i would say actually that my recovery has helped with having a son and being a parent in so many ways so um the guidance and the the combination of unconditional love Mm -hmm. but also accountability and lack of bullshit (laughs) yeah no that's real uh that i get from others in recovery has really kind of um guided my parenting style. So, um, you know, I'm responsible for him. He's a, he's a little human. He's not yet legally able to take care of himself, but also I, I feel responsible. That would be funny. <laughs> um, he's an old soul, though. He's like a, a 65-year-old woman trapped in a 7-year-old's body. Um, he is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, I feel, I feel responsible also for raising him to be a decent and kind and um, good human yeah. um, as best I can. And also to be kind of, not to get too into the weeds here, but to like be aware of his privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to use that for good. Mm-hmm. And 
man, like all, all of those things that I'm even aware of are because of the work that I've done in recovery and learned from others, but also things like, um, you know, facing fear. He struggles with fear a lot because he's a tiny little me and so do I. And, um, you know, and, and I have been taught by others to walk through my fears, um, and to, you know, it's courage isn't the lack of fear. It's the doing despite the fear. Um, Dropping some knowledge. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and um, the ability to kind of talk about feelings yeah. uh, without kind of adding judgment to them mm-hmm. is something I've learned in recovery. Mm-hmm. So I can feel a certain way or I can feel lots of ways at once and I don't have to judge those feelings as good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just are. And sometimes I can dig deeper to find the root of them and, and kind of unearth them and uh, unpack them a little. And we don't, you know, use that language with him. You know, let's unpack your emotions and get to the root of what you're experiencing. That but, comes after, like, grad school. Yeah, or, or at least third grade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like, we... We 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 talk about what's going on. So if he's he's misbehaving, I'll say, you know, what are you feeling right now? You know, are you are you feeling angry? Are you feeling tired? Are you feeling hungry? Um, Most of the time, it's hungry. Yeah, yeah. I'm always for me, hungry. oh yeah. I get hangry. You know, he uses the word hangry. Um, yeah. We frequently use the phrase "let's start our day over," which is something I learned in recovery that mm. we can start our day over at any time. So I might be having a horrible day, um, but I can start it over at any time and. Most mornings getting him dressed for school are horrible. And, um, you know, I set boundaries and often he'll say, Mama, I'm sorry, can we start our day over? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is really great, Um, you know, and (laughs) you'll enjoy this and the work you do. We have a safe word. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. Go on. um, So after I enjoy Portlandia, I haven't watched in a few seasons. but Classic. uh, So if he... Home. Yeah, so if he is... (laughs) about to have a meltdown or in the middle of one and doesn't want to be talked to and just needs some space physically and emotionally, he'll say cacao. And, uh, you know, and we were in New York recently with, with my partner and a couple of his kids. And it was a lot of people and a lot of space and a lot of hot temperatures and a lot of rain. And he's like, cacao, cacao, I'm cacao. And you know, it's leaving me alone. It was great though. You know, so, so I learn tools and I get to share that with him and he teaches me so much about patience and, uh, you know, loving ourselves unconditionally and being okay with who we are, things that I struggled with until my 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, he is just okay with it. Yeah. He loves what he loves and will tell. He's been wearing tutu since he was a year old. And, yes. will, you know, anyone who has a problem with it, he'll look and say, you don't have to like it. As long as I'm not hurting anyone or myself, I like it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, these are these are all things that I've been able to kind of, teach him and he's taught me and it's, it's directly a result of the life that I'm living in recovery. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Half Access. Half Access just launched its new website, halfaccess.org. Half Access is a nonprofit founded by our friend Cassie Wilson all the way over in Oregon. 
half access makes folks uh, aware of the venues that are accessible and are inaccessible all over the country. You can also do some independent reporting on your own to help them out, to help fill out the database all over the country. If you want to support them, if you want to help folks learn what venues are and are not accessible and how we can make them more accessible for folks in the music scene, please go to halfaccess.org, sign up for our updates and ways that you can support as well. Please do that today. They have a real, real cool new website and a lot of bands are already jumping on to support them. And I just want y'all to know that we support them too. And if you want to listen to my conversation with Cassie, go all the way back to episode eight. Yeah, we were in on this on the ground floor, y'all. Go listen to that conversation early on in the podcast uh, and you'll get to hear even more. But for now, go to halfaccess.org. All right, let's get back into this conversation with Andy McConey. I'm really glad you reframed that last question uh, because it makes me like really think about how recovery really informs the way we move about the world and like whenever I encounter someone who is in recovery or just living a sober lifestyle, it like really just reminds me of how thankful I am that I have had good people around me, at least supportive people. They might not have been doing a similar lifestyle, but at least they weren't trying to talk me out of the one that I wanted to have. How has the community at Phoenix really kind of helped with your like current state because you've only been there a couple of years right a year a year ago yeah, yeah there yeah. you go so what has your experience been like there and in that community oh man it's been life-changing and i don't say that lightly mm-hmm. um so the community at phoenix feels like a family mm-hmm. um and it's growing which is really great to be kind of getting in at the early stages um you know your question about how has it informed kind of my life where it's at right now one is that I have been ingrained in the recovery world Mm. in some way or another for about 13 years now. Um, And only in the past year have I feel like I've really broadened my understanding of what recovery can be and can look like and the ways that it can work. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, what has worked for me isn't always the only way that it's going to work for other people. Um, And I've, you know, I've been able to say that and kind of recognize it, but I've really experienced it through Phoenix. People come into Phoenix with a variety of life experiences, uh, living situations, you know, present circumstances, and do different things in their lives in different ways. But for an hour at a time, we just are. Mm -hmm. And we're all kind of where we're at, doing what we're doing without any of that other stuff happening um, and supporting one another. So, you know, that that community of support, people kind of challenging me to, to... do better and be better and set new goals and achieve them and then set new goals and have fun while I'm doing it has um, really kind of lit the fire and, and of passion kind of in my life of, of to kind of like do cool stuff, I guess. Yeah. A big part of my personal recovery was exercise. Um, as my therapist now explains to me, it's kind of trading one thing for another. And for me, for the longest time, I've always been a runner. You know this. I've yep. been a runner forever. And even when I was at the height of my drinking, I justified my drinking because I was like, I, but I've run like 12, 13 miles 
a day on the weekends, I'm fine. Like, I can handle this. And at the same time, I wasn't really noticing any actual benefits to my health because I was, like, not actually taking care of myself. And so when I started getting uh, sober, the biggest change that I noticed was in my overall just, like, sense of self and in my, I hate to use the word, gains as an athlete, as someone who is in shape. And so what do you think the aspect of creating a community around exercise and fitness, how do you think that kind of like, what that looks like as like a community builder or even like a personal, on a personal spiritual level almost? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, well, I mean, I, I think there's two benefits to, to the way Phoenix works, right? Yeah. And and before we even get into that, we know the science behind, you know, physical activity supports wellness, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's physical fitness that supports mental health. We're going to sleep better when we take care of ourselves physically. We want to eat better. And it's all just this kind of snowball effect. But that aside, um, our founder, Scott, has said we could be a bird-watching community. And, you know, we'd still have value. I, I think there's really the value mm-hmm. in the community. Um, and... You know, in my experience, there's there's a couple of different reasons. So one is that community of support. So I, you know, definitely didn't run as far frequently or as fast as you, but, you, yeah. you know, I was also leaving here, running down the Harbor Walk to Castle Island and back four times a week mm-hmm. in recovery and, and felt the That's impact. a good run, too. Oh, there was some walking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be I'm fully not, honest today. That, that's, uh, a tra- that's not an easy yeah, trek, though. Yeah, um, and I was doing it a few times a week. Yeah. Um, and I felt, the, I felt some benefits. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, living this this substance-free life. I was doing some physical fitness, but I was also very alone in it. And and there's times when there's value in that. I need some self-care. I don't really have much time. That's just me alone kind of doing that. Um, but I also felt an immediate difference when I switched into my, my exercise happening within the Phoenix community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came in with no experience in CrossFit, no experience in rock climbing, no experience in yoga or surfing or kickboxing. Um, all of the services. Yeah, all of the things. Um, and I, I came from working here at UMass where, you know, people said that I was a rock star and I was going places. And I came into this place where I sucked at all the things. And... Um, and it was really humbling. That's how I felt day one going yeah. in there. I was and like, what the now. hell am I doing in this gym with all these people? Right. And and so did I. And on top yeah. of that, I was locked into working there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but very shortly um, thereafter, I realized that it doesn't matter how, how you know, good mm-hmm. we are at mm-hmm. it. Um, the really cool thing is that I'm doing it with others and, and it's a non-competitive space. Um you know, we can compete against ourselves. We can set goals, but no one's ever going to say, you know, Craig, you finished last. That's it. Extra burpees. Or, you know, that's that's not how we roll at Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people coming in who, who are maybe competitive athletes and people coming in who are, are still homeless, living on the streets. Yeah. Um, people with injuries, disabilities, really anywhere within that spectrum um, and can all participate in the same class, um, do the same type of movements in some way um, and work out together, which makes us feel not alone, right? Mm-hmm. What I was talking about earlier is that sense of human connection. So when I'm, you know, walking, I, I ran a couple miles and I have to stop and walk on my way to Castle Island. 
uh, listeners, I'm pointing out his window. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I can see so yeah. much. Of the, I honestly have a good view of yeah. the dirt pile. Yeah, so I, you know, I'd be running, and I would, you know, I, I would give up because I was alone, and the only voice in my head was the one telling me to stop. Mm-hmm. And when I'm at Phoenix, if I need to take a break, someone's saying, all right, take a breather, let's get back on it. Or someone's saying, you know, you got this, keep going. Um, you know, for those who don't CrossFit, um, we we do a wad, a workout of the day, and I was often at the beginning the last to finish the wad mm-hmm. by far. Yeah. And and team members and other staff would jump in and having completed their workout, do extra work so that I wasn't finishing alone. And it really echoed this Ugh, feeling it. of you know we're never alone. Um, and and no one ever made me feel bad for not being good at these things. And then over time, I slowly started to to get better. And I'm still by far on that low end of the spectrum. Um, But I don't feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, hey, I get to do these cool things with cool people. Um, So that's one, right? So that community. And then there's that kind of internal um, growth and spiritual growth that you've talked about. And um, I think that's a result of the discipline. So Phoenix is really purposeful in choosing kind of individual disciplines. So it's not team sports, it's not com- competitive sports, um, it's individual things like where we can gauge our own growth. So in CrossFit, there are benchmarks that you can complete over and over again to gauge your, you know, strength increases or time or, you know, in rock climbing, you can go up in the scaling of, of your climbs. Um, but I, we're never sprinting. You and I are not sprinting against each other no. and, and having a winner and loser. Um, and so what happens is, as participants, team members, staff, all of us, we, we try new things. Um, they seem difficult. <laughs> they mm-hmm. seem impossible. They seem scary. They seem hard. And, and maybe we don't get it right away. But if we keep trying, eventually we make progress. And that directly translates into that self-worth that I was looking for for so long that... Um, that sense of empowerment, um, that feeling of I can do these things. Mm-hmm. So in recovery, in life, um, those skills that we're learning by participating in Phoenix programming, we don't even consciously realize we're doing it. So, you know, I don't know if you've done box jumps yet. Um, oh, yeah. They horrify me. Every uh, single every single workout I've done has had box jumps. Yeah, they're... they're I don't want to say they're the worst, but I feel they're the worst because they, they scare seem, me. Yeah, they, they're, they're they, intimidating. Yeah, they scare me. They're these big wooden boxes that you have to jump onto them. And I wasn't that scared until someone told me, hey, I've seen injuries where people take their skin down to the bone on their shins. And then yep. I was even more scared. Um, you Which know, is so, totally something you want to hear yeah. <laughs> right before you're about to do it. Yeah. So I, my first like real Phoenix moment where you know I understood how this works in our lives was, um, you know, a few months in, I had progressed from stepping up to the box because we can modify everything. If you can't box jump, that's okay. You can still participate. So I had moved on from stepping up to boxes, um, to doing actual box jumps. And then I fell and I got hurt and I was okay. Um, physically, but I, that fear, man, like, you know, I was, I was afraid of, of everything in my life during that period. There was a lot going on outside of Phoenix and, um, the next time box jumps were in the wad, I stood in front of it, and my mind was saying jump. My body was saying, nope. <laughs> anything but that. <laughs> yeah, and I was physically paralyzed with fear. Um, and, I, you know, I, I stood there. I wanted to. I was angry at myself. I was frustrated. I was embarrassed. that I, I literally couldn't move. I was crying at work in the middle of a workout. 
Um, and I, I was just like, I felt very much like I did crawling back into recovery in 2014. Mm-hmm. Like, what? why am I even here? I should just give up. I can't do this again. Mm-hmm. I tried and I failed. And, um, you know, someone else in the Phoenix community walked over to me just really gently, sat next to me and said, I think you can do this. You want to take a breather? Mm-hmm. Let's try one together. And sat with me for a minute. And I did one and then I did more. And, you know, and it was such a simple moment. Um but it was so representative of the power of this community and the power of us taking on things that are scary, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that moved on to going on our annual camping trip to Moab, Utah this summer and having the same moment climbing outdoors for the first time and mm-hmm. saying, I can't do this. And nope, so much nope, this is not happening. I'm going to fall and hurt myself and everyone's watching. And oh, <laughs> by the way, there's a camera crew. And, um, you know, the same thing happened where, you know, people were just gently try, just try for one more minute. Let's keep trying. You got this. I think you can do it. I believe in you, even if you don't believe in yourself. Um, and I got to the top and I ugly cried and it was a life changing spiritual (laughs) moment. And, uh, you know, like there's, I I do believe there's nothing that I, I can't do if I really, I mean, I can't fly physically alone without wings. Um, but, but if there's nothing in my life realistically that can be done that I can't do if I prepare myself accordingly, work for it, and have a network of support. And Phoenix mm. has reinforced that belief or, you know, made me actually believe it. Yeah. One of the main reasons I start, like, that I purposefully wanted to start going, especially to the CrossFit classes, um, initially I had been, I have been very turned off to the idea of CrossFit, mostly because of the cult mentality of it. And I have a bunch of friends who do it and they're fine. And I, I see the clear benefits of doing it. Like they've gotten in incredible shape and whatever, but it was always that competition knowing that me personally, I have still anger issues. I'm working out. I have very competitive issues. And uh, I think I reached out to you and I was like, I'm thinking about doing this. I don't know if I should do this. And you just said, it's just a great community to be in. And the, even after the very first workout, I looked at the like workout that was listed and I was like, Oh, this is going to suck. And because I've never been confident in like push-ups, even. And at the end of that first workout, I had done almost all of my push-ups, even though like the last two sets I used on my knee but the, the trainer was like, you can adjust this to whatever is necessary for you. The second I heard that, I was like, oh, this is a completely different thing than I thought it was. And so that made me feel like a lot more comfortable. And even after that first workout, just being around people who like varying degrees of recovery, sobriety, just knowing I was in a community with people that like kind of got and likely know what it feels like to be at your worst, but are just trying to get their bodies in a different space felt so inspiring. And even like the fact that like, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm not, I've never been like a physically like strong person, but I've got the endurance. One of the, one of the guys that I was working out with at that end of that very first session was like, this is your first time in CrossFit. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're going to be fine. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> so I I personally have also always hated working out with other people. And my therapist has been really telling me to get over that because there's, there's a lot to learn in community. 
and has been really pushing me to give up control. And in a CrossFit workout, I have really no control. I have to go and whatever the trainer's wanting us to do that day, I have to do that. I have to put my body through that. And I'll look at the thing and I'll be like, I don't know what a, like a stone, like over the shoulder thing is. I have no idea what that is. And the very first uh, time Lee told us about it and he's like, Crick, can you demonstrate this for us? And I'm like, I've never done this before. And he's like, well, you've seen people do it. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen people do it, but I've never done this. He's like, just give it a try. And I did. And I did it. And he's like, you're going to be fine. I'm like, all right, I can do this. And then it's like, once you're in it, it feels like hell. But once you finish and everyone's cheering you on and uh, whatever that looks like, it feels so good to achieve that. Yeah. Something that you didn't think your body could do. Yep. And then you did it. And then the next time you come in, you do it again. I love that. It feels so good. It does. Yeah. For someone who works at a a fitness organization for all intents and purposes, I hate exercise. I hate hate every second of it while I'm doing it. I love how it feels after. Yeah. Um, You know, and and it's worth it. And I think that 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 translates well into a lot of like, you know, people who come in and, and put in the work in CrossFit or in, you know, yoga or climbing or whatever it is that they're doing, even if it's not at Phoenix or somewhere else who are kind of doing uncomfortable things that are difficult for an end result are, are going to be able to do that in other parts of their life, whether it's, you know, going to, on to get a degree or um, whatever it is that, that that goal is. It's not always going to be rainbows and puppies. And so yeah. getting through that, you know, storm of hell to see through the other side is pretty valuable. Yeah. What do you see as, we can probably end on this part, what do you see as some of the, like, clear successes that you've watched from people um, or just some of the big positives that you've taken from being in that space? Yeah, well, I mean, so my role at Phoenix is New England Youth and Young Adult Program Manager. So um, prior to a year ago when I came on and my my counterpart in Colorado came on, we didn't have programs targeted for young people. Mm -hmm. Um, And over the past year, we, you know, I've developed here in, in New England some programming and and watching these young people. So we're working with recovery high schools in Massachusetts. We're working with adolescent treatment programs. We're working with um, community stakeholders and partners that work with high-risk youth, um, gang-involved, justice-involved, things like that. And watching these young people come in who probably feel like their life doesn't have many options Mm -hmm. and seeing them come in with guard, walls up, very guarded. I don't want to be here. I don't want to participate. A lot of them, uh, I'm angry. This is stupid. I have to be here with school or with treatment. Just like, let me let me sit here and sulk. And, and over the period of weeks or months, building those relationships and watching these young people, life come to their eyes. And it's not solely a result of our programming. Yeah. You know, it's the ones who are putting in work in the rest of their lives mm-hmm. also. Um, you know, but like watching life come back to their lives. Um, instead of them being a statistic, yet another overdose death, yet another person living out there, you know, on the streets with a needle in their arm in broad daylight, um, or someone working at a university drinking mm-hmm. to numb their feelings, mm-hmm. right? Um, and feeling like the impact that even, you know, if we've served a uh, hundred people over a few months, one person feels like they're not alone. One person feels like they have a community to come to when they complete that high school or complete treatment and already have a network of supporters who want to encourage them in their recovery 
and have a home to come into and do healthy, positive things. Like that's, that's I think, the big, biggest success that I think that I've been a part of since starting at Phoenix. Um, you know, we can we can track the data and all of that stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's great, that's important. But the most important thing is, the, I think, the life and the light yeah. in people's eyes and watching that happen over time. Um, and, you know, we can't do that when we're alone, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, again, no. the human connection. Um, if I'm sitting alone, if I'm clean, if I'm sober alone, I don't get to see that in other people. I don't get to be a part of their journey. They don't get to be a part of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Phoenix is a place where that happens. Yeah, that's so great. And I love hearing that because um, even in just the short time, like experiencing that, it feels like they're well, they're so welcoming to anyone is like their first, like my first day I walked in and was like, I don't know. All these people seem to know each other. And I got partnered up with some folks who just became like incredible supports, even just on that first workout. And I was like, yeah, this makes me want to come back. And I'll be going back this week. I'll go next week. And even already excited for like the grand opening. Can you tell folks about the grand opening I that's can. coming up? I can, yes. Uh, so we have a grand opening. We have a brand new facility at 54 Newmarket Square in Boston. Um, and Right behind the South Bay Center. South Bay Plaza, yep. Victoria's Diner, if you're local and know where that is. <laughs> um, it's amazing. So it's our flagship New England location. It's 11,000 square feet. Squeet. Squeet. <laughs> it's 11,000 squeet. Um, with a brand new CrossFit rig, yoga mm. studio, three rock climbing walls. It's, it's so cool. And so our grand opening is on Saturday, September 29th. We'll have our regular 10 a.m. CrossFit class. And then um, some speakers from local leadership, which I, I cannot announce who they are officially, but there are some names you'll recognize. And then some team members will speak. Um, and then we'll have an open house. So you can climb the rock walls. You can, you know, check out the space, ask any questions. Um, if you are interested in coming, you can check out our website, which is thephoenix.org, T-H-E-P-H-O-E-N-I-X.org. You can follow us on Facebook, mm-hmm. The Phoenix Dash Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to come to the open house and have more questions, you can email me, Andrea, at thephoenix.org, or the person organizing that, who's Michael Underhill. So it's M Underhill. Or Munderhill. Munderhill. Munderhill like at thephoenix.org. Um, or you can get in touch with Craig and he'll connect you with us. Yeah, sure. Come check it out. Come check out a class. If you're not in New England, we are national. Um, thephoenix.org has a location of all of our current programming in several states. We're expanding. We'll be in 40 states by next year and Canada. Uh, and we're, we're constantly growing. So if you have a community of people in recovery who want to get some volunteer-led programming up and running in a space that's available, get in touch with us, and we may be able to make that happen. Yeah. It's time for the music break portion of the podcast. This week we're bringing tunes from the new Snow Roller album, which comes out September 28th, so just a few weeks away. The album is called Y2K, and it is coming out from our friends at Near Mint. 
Go to wearenearmint.com uh, and get a copy of this on vinyl, some black copies. They've also got some fun random color pressings, and you so you don't actually know what you're going to get, but it's just going to be a weird color probably. Uh, you can also uh, go to snowroller.bandcamp.com and check out some of the other stuff that they've put out over the years. Fun fact, they're from Portland, Oregon. I'm from Oregon. That's pretty sick. Good connection there. I didn't really know them when I lived there. But, but, you know, I miss bands. You know, that just happens. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry that I'm not perfect for you. Snow Roller makes some really good, fun, punk rock music that I really enjoy. And I hope that you dig this. We're going to play a song called Bus 23. Comes out on the new Snow Roller album, Y2K. Listen to it now. Here is Bus 23 by Snow Roller. Snow Roller with Bus 23. If you like it, go to wearenearmint.com or snowroller.bandcamp.com. Get yourself a copy today. Comes out September 28th. And for now, let's get back to this conversation with Andy McConey. It's time for a lightning round. All right, let's wrap this up with the lightning round. Lightning. Just going to ask you some things about things that you like and enjoy. Okay. Just off the top of your head, you can take okay. the time you need, whatever. What's your favorite color? My favorite color is uh, mustard yellow. Mustard yellow. Yeah. Right. I like Specific. the bold crayons, the bold Crayola colors. So oh, yeah. burnt sienna. 
Army group. Pea green, mustard yellow. <laughs> uh, what about favorite food? Uh, garlic hummus. I'm vegan mm-hmm. and I crossfit. I have to tell you both those things yep. all the time. Yep. And I'm, yeah, and then I identify as straight edge and I do crossfit. And then I also, I didn't eat meat for a little while. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know which one to tell you about first. Um, so what about your favorite place to travel? Oh, man. Wherever I've never been before. I <laughs> well, like. What about a place you have been? Um... My favorite city that I've ever been to was Kyoto, Japan. Oh, cool. Just lots of history, lots of cool culture. Um, just I, I just like going to new places and seeing new things and learning about new yeah. people and experiences and things and all the things. That's awesome. What about a favorite book? My favorite book is The Little Prince, Le Petit Prince. Oh. Uh, I have the tattoo of it, a tattoo of the art, cover art, and my son thinks it's him because I call him my little prince. But oh. I got it before he was born, so don't tell him. <laughs> You're listening to this in the future. Ashton, it was all a lie. <laughs> um, what about a favorite movie? Um, this is so basic, but I really love Dirty Dancing, and I could recite it for you in its entirety right now if you wanted. I won't, That's awesome. but I could. That's how I am about Bring It On. Oh, it's been run. I love Bring It On. We did some break dancing in the, the young adult programming last I night. heard about that. That I'm makes me super happy. Not a good dancer. But yeah. at Phoenix, you cannot be good at things. Yes. And still be fine. Mm-hmm. And still succeed. Yep. Uh, what about TV? Do you like TV? Um, I don't have, like, a working TV, but I watch mm. some stuff. Do you um, have, like, Netflix yeah, or something? Yeah, someone else's Netflix account. Hell yeah. Um, that's how it works. That's how we roll. Um, so this is random, but mm-hmm. uh, my kids actually at the age now where we have a show that we both like, and mm. it's on Netflix Kids, and it's about a YouTuber. And it's called Haters Back Off. It's really funny. I think mm. you would love it. And mm. we've been watching that together. That's cool. Yeah. I dig that. On our limited screen time, of course. Yeah. Because we got to get kids looking away Reading from the screens, right? Moving. Yeah. Yeah. That's but cool. We'll do like an episode at a time. Hmm. So you don't like exercising, but what is your favorite? <laughs> don't what? tell my bosses. I don't like exercising while I'm doing it. But yeah. I, but I love it in general. Well, and it's funny because people are like, What's your favorite thing to do? Run. What's your least favorite thing to do? Run. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like doing it. It's boring, but it's fine. And my hips don't like it. It's fine. My hips don't uh, fine. What is one of your like favorite things to do to exercise or even like a favorite lift? Um, okay, so exercise in general, and I don't get to do this as much anymore unless we get someone to fund us for a pool. Oh. Um, I was a swimmer growing up, and I love swimming. It's the only. It's the first time in my life I've ever meditated, not knowing what meditation was, mm. just counting my breaths, mm. and I swam competitively. So I, I would love to do more of that. Um, and my favorite lift is the deadlift. Cause, oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? Yesterday we were doing clean and jerks, and mm-hmm. I feel like I finally have the rhythm down, and I can do it. So, yeah, Olympic powerlifting. Man, I never thought I'd be doing that, but neither did here I. I am. Neither did I. I never thought it would be something that interested me. But once I started doing deadlift, I was like, oh, Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, like, last week, Lee was kicking my ass because I wasn't keeping my back straight. And then for the, my my last half of the, like, pyramid workout we did, I, like, focused on it and felt it for the next three days. Right, because you're using the muscles you're supposed to use yes. instead of hurting your back. Yes. Yep, I can help you with that. You yeah. want to maintain the S-curve. 
Yeah, it crushed me. And Katie, my partner, was like, why are you walking like that? Like, <laughs> I used a part of my legs that I haven't been used to using, <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, I like to close out on music. What's some of the stuff you like to listen to? Oh, there's so much pressure because you're so cool and I'm so not. Um, a band that I was it's really... It's fine. Kobe Ello was here a few weeks ago and just dead-ass said country music. And I was really? like, this is fine. I totally would have had him on like a techno vibe. But he's also like a sublime guy. So don't. Yo, <laughs> I love sublime. Sublime self-titled album is my favorite album ever. Oh, hey. Um, but I... So a band that I listened to like years ago that I like rediscovered and have been listening to recently is Against Me. Oh, like the yes. mid-2000 era. Oh, new wave? Yes, yeah. I, I run to that album. Yeah, it's just like... Good pop punk, and I like it. Yeah, and Laura Jane Grace is a friggin' badass. I know, so cool. Well, and I, like, listened to them a bit, and then once Laura Jane came out, I was like, all right, I have to go full-fledged against me now because that is just super, super punk rock to, like, be, I don't care. And, like, she lost her band over it, and so... I was all about it. Yeah. And like a lot of people give Black Cross as a a bunch of crap, but I think that's also a great album. I was a teenage anarchist is like yes. the song Just that spoke to my soul. No, that's well, a and that's Weezer. <laughs> no, it's fine. Don't eat that part. No, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much for chatting with me. Likewise. See you yeah. at the gym soon. I'm really glad you suggested this to me for September <laughs> being recovery month. September's recovery month. On that note, if you are struggling, you are not alone. There are people out here who want to support you. Yes. And at Phoenix, you can learn to rise, recover, and live. Oh, that was nice. That's our that's our motto. Hashtag yeah. rise, recover, live. And that's the Instagram, too. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cool. Thanks, Craig. Thank Bye. you. All right, we did it. Another episode done. Very thankful for my friend Andy McConey sitting down with me in my office at UMass Boston to chat about recovery, Phoenix Multisport, and all of the things that you can do for yourself during recovery month to hopefully help either yourself or folks that you know. Please reach out to uh, thephoenix.org to see more stuff that you can learn and uh, get involved with and even support in your own hometown if you've got a Phoenix in your area. If you enjoyed the tunes that you heard this week from Snow Roller, please go to wearenearmint.com and check it out. You can also go to snowroller.bandcamp.com and check out all their stuff and even find it on Spotify. That new album, Y2K, comes out at the end of this month, September 28th. You can get it, pre-order it at wearenearmint.com. And please go to halfaccess.org and learn how you can help keep our venues more accessible for folks in the music scene and find out which venues in your area might need a little bit of work. You know, you can help out. Help out halfaccess.org, our friend Cassie. And again, if you want to hear that conversation, episode eight, it was a good one early on. Uh, That's all I've got for y'all. We'll be back next week with another fun conversation. And yeah, that's really, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, hmm. Hmm. Have a good week. Let's get to work. (laughs) 